Welcome to Uncovered. It's uh, Wednesday, which means it's Uncovered Day. Happy New Year to all and sundry, especially sundry. And to you, Ron Filipkowski, my partner in crime. Did you have a good New Year? It was great. I was in D.C. Well, you are in D.C. by the looks of it. A little bit. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I'm virtually in D.C. still, but yes, it was was good. Good times. That's so good. Yeah, I think everybody kind of had a... As far as I'm aware, I think people were really keen to put 2023 behind them, <laughs> right? That it feels like a fresh start. Um, we have a lot to talk about today on Uncovered. As you know, we uncover the MAGA propaganda that is not covered by the mainstream media. And uh, Ron's a bit of a star on the social medias, as well as being the editor-in-chief of MidasTouch.com, where you can find all of the news, all of the time. Uh, I want to start, uh, I want to talk about Nikki Haley in just a moment, because she doesn't quite know why the Civil War started or what it, what it was for. We'll come to that. But first, let's talk about uh, Christina Bob and, and also the general MAGA Republican rhetoric now that the, that the January 6th insurrection simply doesn't matter. I'll show a quick clip. Here it is. The president is elected by the entire nation, and it should be the entire nation who determines who they want for president, whether they're guilty of insurrection or not, it's up to the people. <laughs> Apparently it's up to the people whether or not we want an insurrectionist in office. I mean, this is something I've heard time and time again recently from MAGA Republicans. They're, they're just claiming that January 6th was just a, a moment in time and that actually we should just move on. They're really moving the football a lot on this. And, and, and that, you know, I watched that show last night and she was on a, a relatively obscure show. And I almost, I really did almost fall out of my chair when she said that because no one's moved the football on Team Trump quite that far. <laughs> and I don't know if she meant to say that or what. She is officially Trump's lawyer. She she works for, for Donald Trump. Right. And, you know, what she was addressing is the main Colorado things ab- about removing Trump from the ballot and that's that sort of thing. But what she said is it doesn't really matter if somebody commits an insurrection or not. The voters should still be able to elect that person president if they want, which is directly the opposite of what the 14th Amendment says. So it was just stunning to hear a a lawyer for Trump go that far. I mean, I could see if it's, you know, one of his political henchmen like Jason uh, Miller or somebody like that saying it. But this is actually one of his lawyers saying it. I heard Kellyanne Conway saying a couple of days ago, she's like, it's like every morning Democrats wake up and their alarm clock says January 6th, 2021. Like, you know, the point she's making is that we won't shut up about it. it you know, anybody in any country where there was a coup against the United States probably shouldn't shut up about it until something is done about it. Well, and the reason why we won't shut up about it is because the person who masterminded it is running again. Yeah. You know, if he wasn't running, this wouldn't be as big of a topic every day. It would still be relevant, but it, it wouldn't be as relevant. You know, if, if Ron DeSantis was the nominee, we wouldn't be talking very much about January 6th in the context of this race, other than the fact that he might pardon some of these people. So that that's an issue. But the fact that the person who orchestrated an insurrection could be back in charge of the government again is why we're a little bit upset about it. And also the fact that, you know, for those of us who care about democracy 
and care about the Constitution and protecting the Republic and all of these things, January 6 is, is a pivotal moment in American political history. And something I think that they failed to realize is that, you know, the insurrection was not just the riot. You know, I think that they try and focus on the riot. But you and I know that the riot was the last act of a desperate leader, right, sending the mob in to just try and smash it all down. That the coup was the fake elector scheme. That was also part of the, elect the, the, the insurrection. Getting fake electors to switch envelopes effectively and try and get Mike Pence to certify them. That in itself is something that they cannot deny is a stain on, on American history. Yeah, they never want to talk about what happened in the context of the post-election stuff. They always want to cherry pick. They always want to take one thing in isolation and focus on that, whether it's, well, Trump sent out a tweet three hours later telling people to go home and be peaceful. Well, that was too late. You know, yeah. they never look at the full context. And like you said, I mean, what about Michael Flynn and, and Sidney Powell being in the White House urging urging them to declare martial law and seize voting machines right what about you know the john eastman memos the the fake elector stuff rudy trying to intimidate officials I the mean, oath keepers and, and the, the proud boys context. standing by with weapons stashed i mean yeah. come on you know it was a multi-pronged multi-faceted coup and i i must again recommend you know what we yeah. should do anthony let's just take january what happened on january 6th out of it yeah. let's say that that never happened right we just if we just looked at all the other stuff that would be enough well that's know? why i want to recommend the midas touch video called a coup in plain sight it was a viral video that went out uh, a year or two ago and it, it it puts a chronological order to the planning that went in to to creating and setting up this coup ahead of the riot and it, it, the reason it's so good is because what what the team have managed to do is bring about all of those clips and put them in chronological order. And the voiceover explains what was happening at each step of the way, including at the hotel. Tell us a little bit about what went on in that hotel room the day before. Oh, at the Willard Hotel? I yeah. mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a crazy scene, too. You got all kinds of different people there. Uh, Mike Flynn, um, Roger Stone, Alex Jones. Uh, this was the one where... Mark Meadows was going to go, and then uh, somebody talked him out of it. I forget who. Uh, I think it was maybe Cassidy Hutchison told him, don't go. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that that was where many of the main plotters were were huddled. And, you know, what were they talking about? What took place? That's, that's a big mystery here is what conversations took place in that room uh, we don't really know a whole lot about what was going on, but that that was sort of the command center for what yeah. was happening. Yeah, the, the the HQ, and not to mention the video of backstage when Trump was doing his, you know, or about to make his his speech, you know, beforehand on January six. And there's that video circulating of of Don Jr. and you know all of the family just like you know loving all of the attention and talking about you know, taking back the country and that they definitely know that something is about to kick off. And if you watch that video with that in mind, you realize that, you know, they know that January 6th is judgment day for the Republicans. Yeah, they were expecting something big to happen. They were giddy. I mean, remember Kim Guilfoyle dancing around? Yeah. Um, they were excited. 
they expected something. They they certainly did not expect a routine counting of the ballots. <laughs> Normally, January sixth <6th laughs> yeah. is quite boring in yeah. our elections, but they but that's, they expected that's interesting. something more. That their excitement was because they knew that something was about to go off, right? Because they sure. also knew that Trump had already lost the election a couple of weeks earlier, right? So so effectively, in their minds, they were like, well, this scheme is all coming to a head today the, for the certification. So they knew. This is, this is, you know, from a psychological perspective, if you look at it with that in mind, you can really see where their minds were at. Well, and, and the other thing, the night before, the night before you had Roger Stone, Alex Jones, and Michael Flynn getting the crowd all fired up the night before, talking about what they were going to do. Um, and there's plenty of clips of that out there. Uh, I've posted many of them uh, where they're just inciting the crowd, whipping the crowd up. Trump Trump, and his team were well aware who was in that crowd, who they had in there as instigators and leaders. And they had to know that something was going to happen. Yeah. And, and he'd also planned not to have a huge police presence as well to make sure that, you know, that there's that document floating around that basically said that the National Guard is not required. And that was done by the, the acting attorney Chris general. Miller. Yeah, right. Chris Miller. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, let's, let's go on to Nikki Haley, because we discussed last week that she's kind of doing better in the polls for, for the Republican primary. But she was put on the spot with questioning about the Civil War last week. And and just tell us kind of what happened, because the clip that I'm going to show is the one of her backtracking. But let's go just go up. back a little bit. She really yeah, well, didn't you know, want to talk about it, did she? It it was interesting, you know, to watch the establishment Republicans sort of, uh, you know, they're they're jumping off the the Ron DeSantis sinking ship, and they're looking yeah. for a lifeline. These are the anti-Trump, you know, establishment Republicans. So they decide, okay, we're going to push all our chips in on Nikki Haley. And, you know, Chris Sununu endorses her. She goes up in the polls in New Hampshire. The money starts flowing into Nikki Haley's campaign. Everything is starting to look up. And what does she do in New Hampshire, of all places? She, you know, has this huge, massive, I wouldn't call it a gaffe because actually, if you look back, she's given similar answers on the Civil War in the past. Um, so I don't think it really was a gaffe. I think it was something that she had said before that worked quite well in South Carolina in her Republican meetings. Nobody batted an eye. But, you know, again, it's sort of like DeSantis. When you say stuff in a southern state that might not be that controversial and you take it on the road nationally, it doesn't play as well in New Hampshire when you when you're in an, in a state where people's relatives died in the Civil War proud that they ended slavery in this country and you're telling them that their death was about states rights yeah. you know i mean it, it that's just it was just a ridiculous and, and her cleanup that we're going to play here wasn't a whole lot better you know it wasn't exactly a full uh mea culpa and uh you know it had to just mortify chris sununo i know he's tried to say he doesn't think it was a big deal but it was a big deal especially when you consider that she held a very significant role in the Trump administration, right? She 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 sure. had a really good job. She was doing international relations, wasn't she? She was the UN ambassador, yeah. Right. 
So a very senior position, absolutely. So you would have expected the UN ambassador from the United States to at least know a little bit of US history. Might have come in handy for international diplomacy. Anyway, this is her doing the doing the cleanup. Asked about the Civil War and what I think of the Civil War, what was the cause of the Civil War. Of course the Civil War was about slavery. We know that. That's unquestioned always the case we know the civil war was about slavery but it was also more than that it was about the freedoms of every individual it was about the role of government for 80 years america had the decision and the moral question of whether slavery was a good thing and whether government economically culturally, any other reasons, had a role to play in that. By the grace of God, we did the right thing and slavery is no more. But the lessons of what that bigger issue with the Civil War is that let's not forget what came out of that, which is government's role, individual liberties, freedom for every single person, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do and be anything you want to be without anyone or government getting in your way. That should be the goal of what we always try and take away from that, right? Because we never want to return back to that place. But we always want to remember the lesson of what it means to be a free individual and that everyone deserves to be a free individual. So we stand by that. I say that as a Southerner. I say that as a Southern governor who removed the Confederate flag off the State House grounds. And I say that as a, a proud American of how far we have come. So now I'll start. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. It's, it's just painful to listen to, aside from the fact that her microphone was turned up too loud and was distorting. I don't think anybody would have wanted to sit in the room for that long. But, I mean, how does it make you feel when you hear someone who is running for president effectively rewriting history? You know, again, I, I, I've talked about this before. My degree is in world history. I was a history teacher for high school, taught the Civil War you know, read so many books on the Civil War, hundreds of books, been to many Civil War battlefields. So, you know, I've been through all the South Carolina, Fort Sumter, all those uh, Civil War battlefields, and she's just moronic. I mean, she either doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, she's talking about the grace of God and people coming out of the Civil War with rights. Yeah. This is because so it's so ignorant. You know, it wasn't from by the grace of God. It was blood. It was the blood of a generation was shed and, and sacrificed to, by force of arms, wrest free slaves from slave owners and the politicians who controlled them. And by the way, Southern politicians, mo most of the people who died fighting the Confederacy, 90% of them more did not own slaves. You know, it was they were being used as cannon fodder too to defend the oligarchs, the planters, you know, running these plantations. So, and the, and, and the idea, the mythology that like, once the civil war ended, all these slaves had freedom and equal rights and all that is sense too. They, that really wasn't achieved until the civil rights movement a hundred years later, 
you know, Martin Luther King realized for many of these people, you know, in his movement, it was the first time that they got free and equal rights because we had Jim Crow come in at, after a brief period of reconstruction. So, I mean, I don't want to spend the whole show on the civil war, but her take on this is just asinine yeah. and just incredibly bad. And it's disqualifying as far as I'm concerned for somebody who wants to be president. And she has to be sensitive to that as somebody coming from South Carolina, which is where the first shot of the civil war was fired. So she should be a little more sensitive to this. She was just riffing, wasn't she? I mean, she was doing that thing that politicians do where they just like say anything to fill the air and then hope that people are satisfied with that answer and can move on. And, you know, with subjects that are as important in American history as the Civil War and January 6th, I might add, you know, we could absolutely stick that, you know, as a, another moment, you know, another kind of pin on the board. The other thing I would say is that, you know, for any black Americans watching that speech, slavery might have been abolished, but it didn't go away. And it would be remiss of us not to talk about just for a moment about the number of African-Americans incarcerated, the way that people are put to work in prison, how modern slavery, you know, affects people, poor people mainly, but is still something that is a, a, a big problem for immigrants, people coming to the U.S. who are underpaid and exploited. Slavery might have gone away on the statute, but it has certainly still in existence just in a stealth-like way and and let's not forget too many of these confederate monuments went up after reconstruction ended in other right. words we had this brief period of reconstruction where many blacks in the south did have some equality some rights we had the highest number of elected black officials in the united states most people don't know that in the 1870s because of reconstruction was so aggressive but then it rapidly went away after grant's presidency Jim Crow was reinstituted, and that's when the Confederate monuments went up in the late 19th century across the South because it was telling black people, we're back in charge now. The North, the, those Northerners, those Yankees, they're, they're gone. That stuff's all over with now. We're running the show. You're, you may not be slaves anymore, but you're going to be sharecroppers and you're going to ride the back of the bus. And that's why those monuments are so insulting to so many people in the South is because they were put up during that time period. And, and the white people are still in charge, ultimately. And this is something mostly. mostly and, you yeah. know, going back to the Constitution, which was effectively designed to protect white landowners from, you know, any kind of land grab or uprising from regular people or the people working for them. Here we are now in a situation where the GOP, the MAGA Republicans, the whole movement is intrinsically racist. It is a the, the systemic racism or the or the intrinsic racism is just baked in to the MAGA Republican offering. And and you know, I, I've often questioned whether or not I should say that out loud, and I've now come to the conclusion that it would be foolish not to make that claim because that's what's happening and if you read between the lines or or you know just listen to the way they talk especially to in those environments that you cover where they're talking amongst themselves on you know right-wing networks the, the the racism the theme of racism is is explicit 
And it's there on the border too. You know, when we talk about the migration, yeah. there's there's a racial component to all of their arguments and and presentations with respect to the border. You know, if those were if those were white people coming across the border, you they you wouldn't hear as much from the yeah. right as, as we do. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about Vivek Ramaswamy. He's uh, chickened out of the final Iowa debate, uh, claiming that uh, CNN hosts and contributors who've said mean things about him are the reason he doesn't want to do that. Just tell us a little more about this story. Well, this is him trying to do some preemptive damage control, but as usual, he's just running his mouth excessively. He didn't qualify for the Iowa debate because the Iowa debate is not being run by the RNC. The Iowa debate is being run by CNN, who had different criteria. You had to at least have 10% in, in reliable polls. Vivek is not even close to Vivek. is not even close to that in Iowa. He's polling like 3 4%. So he wasn't going to qualify. So rather than him just sort of take the L on that or maybe dispute the qualification criteria, he came up with this nonsense where he listed a whole list of things that, you know, Caitlin Collins was mean to him or, or a CNN host was said mean things about him. And he listed all these different people who said bad things about him. So a presidential candidate is going to skip a debate because certain people on the network, analysts or hosts, criticized him. I mean, that's completely ridiculous. No one's going to skip a debate for that reason. So he's trying to save face, but in typical Vivek fashion, he's trying to save face by lying and and being a snowflake and making things up. And, you know, they love to they love to denigrate liberals and progressives and say they're too sensitive. They're too snowflakes. These people's whole ex I do nothing but listen to them all day. They do nothing but whine and cry and make themselves victims. And Vivek, you know, is, is taking after his role model, Donald Trump, in this respect. My favorite thing that he does is where he tries to stop the conversation or the interview or the debate. And he goes, no, now listen, I'm going to make this absolutely clear. I <laughs> wanted to talk about this in the simplest of terms, as if he's kind of pivoting and he's bringing everybody back down to earth. And then he just goes on to do more fabrications and more lies and, and more misinformation he really is a, a, a empty shell of a man. He really is. And, um, uh, you know, one of the things that he had, one of the things that he's still upset about is, is about January 6th. And yeah. when he tried to, you know, on the CNN town hall, he tried to exploit their airways and their audience by saying, you know, January 6th was an inside job. It was right. all orchestrated by the FBI, all of that. So, you know, this is the problem with CNN having these guys on, which is, you know, they're going to spew their right wing conspiracy theories. So CNN trying to do damage control, interrupting him, saying you're just spouting conspiracy theories and then they go at it. So that that that's his main beef was that he wanted to come up, come up with those conspiracy theories and they and they they tried not to let him. So but that's the problem. I mean, when you let these nut jobs and you give them a whole hour on prime time you know, they're going to say what you don't, you don't want to hear. Do you think that the mainstream media, and I include the cable news channels, do you think that they realize their responsibility in this political crossroads right now? Because it seems to me that, you know, it's for many of the networks, certainly the legacy networks, the CBS and the NBC and, and everything else, they, 
they're just doing like two horse race business as usual coverage. You know, why are they not covering Project 2025 at every juncture? Why are they not clipping bits of it and saying, you know, he's going to shut down the federal government. He's going to fire 50,000 people. This is their plan to rebuild the country in Trump's image. I mean, the lack of alarm being sounded by mainstream media is is kind of terrifying. They don't they don't they they don't cover the crazy, they don't cover the fringe stuff. I think either they're uh, in many cases they're just not aware of it. You know, they're not plugged in to that MAGA universe. They're plugged into the traditional Republican politics on Capitol Hill. And, you know, the party has completely transformed. I think when Vivek brought up that conspiracy of, you know, the FBI and all that, I don't think they were expecting him to say that. I I think that they were a little surprised by that. Maybe they had never heard it before, but this is common parlance on in right wing media. This is this is stuff I hear every day. So they, they have to. I think they just don't, especially mainstream media, does not have enough people on their staff, whether producers or, or whatever, who are really plugged into what is happening on the right. They're unaware of some of these conspiracies. And so when they get hit with them on live TV, they're sort of taken aback and they don't know how to respond to them. But also what you said is true. They're also unaware of the questions that they need to ask, which is why, for example, Brett Baer tweeted who's who's going to be hosting Donald Trump at the same time as the Iowa debate next week, put out a tweet asking people to suggest questions that he could ask Trump. And I said, hey, Brett, what? And he follows me on Twitter. So I said, hey, Brett. So I know he'd see it. I said, why don't you be the first person of any network to ask Trump about his scheme to have parents elect principals of high schools and middle schools in America. Why don't you ask him to break that down and explain how that's going to work? Why don't you be the first person to do that? I mean, it. it these are things, the, when he says all these crazy things, you got to ask him about them. You got to pin him down, but they, they just don't do it. I do actually think that there's a lot of white privilege involved in a lot of this media coverage. You know, because it's invariably wealthy or well-off, comfortable white people in senior positions in the media, executive roles, but also the journalists as well, who don't really want to rock the boat. They like their jobs. They don't want to, you know, ruin the status quo. They're doing okay. And so consequently, there doesn't really seem to be that drive to really kind of alert people to what could be coming. And also maybe they want this to happen because it will mean more ratings and it will mean more drama and something else that's interesting to report on. Yeah, I don't know how many networks, um, and I don't want to, you know, excessively beat up on the media here, but I've said this before. I don't know how many networks or if you take the Washington Post or New York Times, hire a, a man or a woman who graduated from like Arizona State or Iowa State or Utah State or, you know, who grew up in South Dakota. Um, I think the number of people who are hired by me- major media companies in this country who come from places like that or schools like that is very, very small. How many of them have served in the military? And I'm not talking about the generals they bring in as a talking head. I'm talking about just people who are like, a corporal or a sergeant in the Marine Corps. 
you know, how many of them are, are hired by me? So what I'm saying is there's this massive swath of the country that is not represented by media. <laughs> you know, they're represent the media pays attention to race, sex, gender, hiring on that basis, but they don't pay attention, it seems to me, to having diversity of where people are from and what their backgrounds are yeah. to be able to relate to the entire country. Uh, it's just too Northeast. It's too Ivy League. And their coverage reflects that. But it, it's also a denial of the African-American experience. And that is something that I think needs to be part of media coverage generally, because it, you know, America looks very different through a different lens. And I think to deny that is is foolish and denies, you know, really what America sure. fundamentally is, is about. Um, talking of white privilege, let's uh, talk about His uh, Royal Highness King Trump of Mar-a-Lago just for a moment, because his New Year's Eve <laughs> celebrations that you kind of broadcast on Twitter were very, very interesting. I mean, I'm going to show a clip of him. You posted weirdest cult ever. And what's the name of that guy that sings the Proud to be American song? Well, Lee Greenwood right. is the one who normally sings it, but this, this is guy, not Lee Greenwood. This guy made a, a, a very did a very interesting version, to say the very least. But I want you to kind of just take a look at how Trump pumps himself up and really kind of enjoys this Messiah moment. <laughs> <laughs> that note that's a great place to end well done on your clippage there philip kowski thank you um well, the reason i said like because it king, went on much longer <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it did um the reason i talk about like king trump of mar-a-lago uh, there's a serious point to that and that is that he is the king of that castle and when he's there he is treated as the president not the former president and the disgraced former president or as the former host of, of you know, reality television, but as the president of the United States. And standing there with his pants pulled up to his nipples, he really, you know, was milking that moment, wasn't he? You're you're absolutely right that there isn't, you know, I cover all the Mar-a-Lago parties and stuff, you know, with the, as I've said many times before, I, I'm plugged into hundreds and hundreds of members of Mar-a-Lago. So I get I get all these videos from their phones and, you know, pictures and all that from from them. Mostly, you know, I follow just hundreds of them. And um, there isn't anyone who would ever call him former president or Mr. Trump. No, it's always pre our true president, our real president, President Trump. It, yes. And, and, there, and everything he does there is is choreographed. Yeah. Um, before he went out on stage, you know, he 
He stands outside the door. He waits till everything is set up. He waits till people are paying attention. He builds that anticipation. You know, then he walks into the room and they all stand up and, and clap. I, I had a clip, you know, uh, several months ago where he walked into a dining room and there was a table of really old people, like late 80s, who didn't stand up. And, and, he, and he stood there and, and glared at them and waited for them to stand up. And you see this like 85-year-old lady who's like struggling to get out of her chair <laughs> while he stood there and waited. Yeah. And because uh, that's what he expects, you know. And, and you saw him up on stage. His chest is all puffed out. His chin is out. He's striking the Mussolini pose. Yeah. He's soaking in the adder. That's his drug. That's his, that's his crack. You know, he's soaking in that adoration, that that cult worship that that they give him and and they absolutely give it to him. And playing up to the dictator role that he's given himself and the media is now giving him as well, because, as we said last week, he he loves the idea that he could be considered a dictator up there with some of the greats, because that's how he sees them. And, you know, including the current dictators in world, you know, in world politics, he wants to be up there. He wants a Mount Rushmore, which is Putin and Kim Jong and and uh, Erdogan and then Trump. Like that's that's what he wants. And and all of those people, there's a common theme, which is they see themselves as the country. Yeah. The, the physical embodiment of the nation. Yeah. That, that's been true of all autocrats and dictators. So when he's when they're playing proud to be an American, he hears American as Trump, you right. know, that America is Trump. Trump is America. And so if you're proud to be an American, you're proud to be a Trump, a Trump worshiper is basically, you know, what the theme is. And uh, yeah, it's it's just it, it's absolutely insane. But, you know, this is what they love. They, I mean, they agree with that, that he is the physical embodiment of the country. So there's that. And there's the religious aspect to it as well. And, and I just watch how they script these events. And it's, it's very similar every time. And, and it's a very repetitive theme over and over again. And, you know, the scene at Miralago is always insane. I put up all the pictures of, you know, because you have these. You have the people who want something, the hangers on. You have the people who really do love him. But then you also have like the influencers who they're just there to get that one photo. Yeah. You know, that one selfie with him that they can blow with the thumb, up. And, the big fat thumb pointing yeah. in the wrong direction. And and to them, that's like the, it makes their whole year to get yeah. that selfie with Trump. You know, it's terrifying because it's all fake. The whole thing is, is a fake. charade. And yet a whole political movement is now running off the back of it. There is no other Republican movement anymore. It is everybody is in the cult of Trump. Every Republican lawmaker has, has been brainwashed or has compromised, so they're just playing along or they're quitting and resigning, as we've heard of even more in the last few days. This is a situation now where, the you know, as Biden says, the your grandparents' Republican Party does not exist. It is the Donald Trump dictatorship and... That's what you're. That's what you're voting for. Let's talk about the entertainment that he brought in. Uh, you posted the Elvis impersonator uh, along with Vanilla Ice, who somehow made it onto the bill. And they had the mutant ninja turtles. I mean, it's always quite a scene to see the entertainment that he brings in, and you well, know it's who he can it, get right. It's who is prepared well, to work for that guy. 
that's the question is yeah is it a function of him like not being willing to pay anybody you know like because you would think he could get some maybe some better people like kid rock or somebody like that not that kid rock is a big star but he's certainly bigger than an elvis impersonator but yeah i think it's a it's a function and you know he's charging top dollar for these tickets you know these people are not there for for free they're all paying through the nose to be there and so you know they're paying however much it is a thousand bucks a ticket 1500 bucks a ticket a seat and then they're coming in and they're getting you know the guy fieri you know look alike doing proud to be an american and they're getting they're getting vanilla ice who <laughs> who, you know, had one hit 30 years ago that he ripped off from Freddie Mercury. And uh, he's still, he, you know, he's just he's just playing that hit over and over again. Yeah. You know, he, I think he does like a 30 minute version of that song. But they and, did uh, get the real Elvis. So, I mean, that must have been worth something. <laughs> I'll, I'll play the clip. Here it is. <laughs> Trump there going that's not Austin Butler <laughs> the other funny part is to watch Trump because you know there's all these old videos of him at Studio 54 back in the right. day and those are hilarious to me too because you know it's the late 70s everybody's dressed in these gaudy outfits and you know the chest hair and the chains and you know the white suits but you know Trump was always there just like he is now you know the full three-piece suit the tie buttoned up and he would just stand there on the dance floor and just kind of, you know, you could have Donna Summer up there rocking out. And he's just kind of like barely moving, you know, doing one of these things. And I think it's that narcissist in him that he doesn't want to look foolish. He doesn't want to look silly. And he he understands that, like, if he tries to dance for real, he's going to look clownish. So he doesn't even try. So he just and, and you see this there. You saw it with um, Vanilla Ice is performing his his song. Uh, you know, Trump is just standing there. Everybody around him is dancing and Trump is just standing there, you know, looking so uncomfortable. And but also, you know, back then, certainly those videos that I've seen, especially the one with Jeffrey Epstein, where he's kind of checking out the girls. It's, you know, he's on the prowl. He is looking oh, to yeah. pick girls up. And so instead of wanting to dance, he's literally just ogling people and, and, and picking out the person that he wants to, or several people that he wants to take home with him. You know, it's like that clip the other day of him, or that repeated clip of him saying, you know, I could just go into the dressing room at the at the um, the pageant because I own the pageant. So I could just go in whenever I want because I'm the owner and the girls are getting changed. And to him, that's how he qualified, the fact that that was okay. Well, and Vanilla Ice had a couple of girls up on stage with him, very scantily clad, jumping around uh, that were... Trump's type, if, if he has a type, they clearly were his type. Uh, and yeah, Trump was most likely uh, watching the, the, the backup dancers rather than watching Mr. Ice. Now, there is a Mrs. Trump, and sometimes it's easy to forget that there is a, a current Mrs. Trump, the third wife of Donald Trump, Melania. But she's been MIA for a, a short while now, and Trump actually got up at this event and, and tried to explain why... She wasn't there. Let's have a listen. Melania, great first lady, so popular, the people love her. Woo! She's right now in a hospital with uh, her mother. Her mother, Amalia, is very ill. Uh, but uh, hopefully she'll be recovering. But she's been very ill, so... Uh... 
I mean, he started okay. that with Everybody Loves Her, so trying to kind of build up that part. So I took a lot of heat on this, okay, on this Melania issue from the right-wingers. They, they really went after me hard uh, on New Year's because of this issue, okay? So I have been the tip of the spear on the Where's Melania issue for two years now. Melania is nowhere to be found. And I cover Miralago and I'm on it all the time, every event, you know, and she's never, ever there. She's been seen in public with Trump maybe three or four times. The last time she made a very brief cameo at his Halloween party where she came in for 15 or 20 minutes and left. Okay. So she has not appeared at a single campaign event with him. She has not appeared on the road with him in over two years. When she went to D.C. to give her speech to Mike to the immigrants, uh, new citizens, he did not go with her. So there's something going on here. And and where's Melania was trending over Christmas because she was not at any of the Christmas events. Every other member of the family was there. No explanation has ever been given. OK, so now we roll into this New Year's Eve party again. No Melania and Trump knows he he has to know yeah. that the that this is again going to be a big deal that he throws this big New Year's Eve party. Melania, who wasn't there on Christmas, is also not there on New Year's. And the press is going to go start speculating and go wild. So when he got up on stage right after the guy got done singing Proud to be an American, <laughs> the very first thing that Trump said was to give an explanation of why Melania wasn't there now. This is the first time that we have ever heard that, you know, her his his mother-in-law, Melania's mom, is supposedly in the hospital for cancer or something. No one is. I've never heard that said by anybody. I'm not saying it's not true. It very well might be true. But, you know, we have we have Trump is not there at the hospital with her. OK, comforting his wife, comforting his mother-in-law. If she's so dire ill, she he was at the party all night. Um, so he didn't even go to his own brother's funeral. So he went to the right. cinema instead. So this is the kind of guy we're talking about. Yeah. But they, they were all beating up on me. Cause I said, you know, where's Melania. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, they were all beating up on me because she's supposedly at the hospital. So it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? I was thinking about how he likes to stage manage everything. So when he's standing there with chest mm. puffed out in his mind, he looks like he's thinking about the visual you know everything's very visual with him right it's got to look right the lighting's got to be good he's got to be standing the right way you know he cares about how he looks even though he wears terrible clothes but he's constantly stage managing everything every event <coughs> wherever he's standing the whole thing cough you mm -hmm. and at the same time let's just flip that to to joe biden for a second because i know we never really talk about joe biden because you know he's he's not a threat to democracy for a start but Joe Biden is not a showman. He's not a, a stage manager. He's not right. somebody who thinks about image. He doesn't really care. He just gets on with his life. He's thinking about policy. He's doing his job. And yet, you know, the two could not be more different. And unfortunately, that kind of stage manage aspect of Trump's uh, presentation, often with media and with commentators and with voters, kind of looks more slick. And the reason it looks more slick is because Trump cares passionately about looks 
and nothing for substance. And yet with, with Biden, it's the other way. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And apologize. I'm getting over a cold. Um, so if I'm coughing a little bit, that's okay. um, I don't think you can catch it on the internet. No, but no, you're absolutely right. Every single thing that he does is scripted and very carefully controlled and stage managed. And on those rare occasions, when we, we saw it this week again with his, his, the toe pads, there was a photo of that in his little home studio where he shoots his little video. We actually got for the first time a behind the scenes shot from Dan Scavino put it out, I believe. That showed him where he's standing on two black pads. And that's right. You know, we were all speculating about what that was all about. Why is his toe? Why does he have two black pads that he puts his toes on? And and I think that what we've come up with is he has a problem standing in one spot without shaking or, or, or swaying. Well, and, and he's top heavy as well. So, yeah. You know, and so he's got a natural lead. Because he's trying to shoot those videos where he's trying to stay still. And that's helping him, you know, not sway. Uh, that could be one reason, but I think it's that... probably more the the pitching rather than the rolling. You know, yeah. to use an ocean liner analogy just for a moment. I think it's because he does, you know, his his center of gravity is forward, and so I think it's to bring him back so that the focus for the camera shot stays consistent. Yeah, yeah you, you could be right, but but that goes to show you that every little detail. Yeah, uh, of everything is so scripted and so controlled when he goes to a diner, you know, uh, on these campaign stops, every every single person in there is, you know, is lined up. We saw it when he goes to the football stadiums, you know, yeah. he, he waits until his advanced team has people set up along the way to cheer him. So, yeah, you're right that Joe Biden does not spend that much time on stage. Well, because he's a public servant. He's a lifelong public servant who is constantly thinking about policy and not even thinking about strategy, not enough for my liking anyway. You know, it's all about policy. And this is the thing. It's like our criticism of of the Democrats is that they don't market themselves properly. They don't shout enough about their successes. I mean, they've reopened, or tomorrow they're reopening four border crossings at the southern border because the numbers have dropped. There's, there's so few people trying to cross that they're, they're reopening these borders that they closed. Um, you know, nothing about that. I would like to see a whole press conference talking about their successes at the southern border and, and how, the, you know, the, the number of apprehensions, as you only discussed with us a couple of weeks ago, you know, they admitted that they were through the roof, but the fact that they are arresting people. Just talk about it. You know, otherwise, if you don't, and if you leave a media vacuum... It's going to get filled with propaganda from the other side. What 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 many elected Democrats don't really fully understand is that in a democracy, it's as important for you to sell your policy as it is to enact it. So yeah. enacting it, many Democrats feel like we enact the policy, the policy is doing good. Now we can just sit back and chill and go on to the next when that's not. That's not what you have to do. You have to continue to sell the policy and continue to show how it's working and describe how it's working and present how it's working. And, and you have to keep doing that even after you've you passed the laws. Um, you know, you have to show the infrastructure plan. You have to go around the country and say, look, this is happening because of my infrastructure bill. And you need those photo ops. And yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, I'll give you another example. Mayorkas was on Morning Joe this morning and talking about the border 
And, um, you know, he, he answered a bunch of questions. He was on for a while. But then I heard um, KJP, the press secretary, this afternoon talked about the fact that she said 400, over 400,000 people have been deported since May. And I, I was flabbergasted. Like, I'd never heard that number before. And that's a number that, you know, Republicans would would, uh, would are saying no one's deported. Yeah. So, and Mayorkas never mentioned it this morning. To yeah. me, that's something that's important to say. Yeah. It would be fine if the opposition was moderate, right? It would be fine if the if if the the GOP who they're having to fight against were mild mannered and 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 you know quiet. But they're not. They're 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 a riot, and they will, <laughs> like I say, fill every void with with false propaganda. And so this is the problem, isn't it, with Biden's tenure? Is that the country's doing pretty well? The economy is now back on its feet, and you know people are starting to feel that personally. It always takes a little bit longer to trickle down to to individuals, but it's a great success story. These last couple of years or three years now, it's a great success story. And, it, you know, Biden is painted as the worst president in history. I mean, it, it, it doesn't make any sense when you look at it on paper and you look at the facts and look at the details. It, it's, 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 they need a marketeer, you know. They need to really be advertising it and going full on. Social media, billboards, TV ads. I mean, they are raising huge amounts of money. I mean, where's that money going? Maybe they're saving it all for the end. <laughs> yeah, the last three months, the most important period, right? Maybe. And, you know, that might not be a bad strategy, yeah. considering that the reality is, you know, political junkies like us, we pay attention to this stuff year round. But many voters who decide elections don't pay attention right. in this country until the last minute. So let's talk about Lauren Boebert. She uh, is shifting districts, isn't she? She's realized that she can't win in, in her win her congressional seat back again so she's she's switching um and let me play the clip and then you can explain a little bit more she went on steve bannon's podcast and he's now blaming barbara streisand they've raised 10 million dollars out of aspen and i take the other um places in your district it's all flowing through there because of you you believe by switching to the fourth you're cutting off the, that money will cease and you'll give a uh you'll give a, a mega candidate a shot to win in, in Colorado third? Steve, that's exactly correct. Uh, they do not have policies that they are running on. They're simply running against Lauren Boebert. And uh, it's not just Aspen that the money is coming from. It's coming from Hollywood. When you have Barbara Streisand coming in and donating to the Democrat, when you have Ryan Reynolds coming in and donating to the Democrat, uh, it shows you that Hollywood is trying to buy their way into Congress. You have George Soros and his dark money groups that have already spent $2 million in a non election year in Colorado's third district. And so this cuts that uh, that funding that they're receiving now and gives an opportunity uh, for conservatives to have a stronger presence in Colorado. So I'm not abandoning my district. I love Colorado's third district and will continue to fight for each and every person who's in the district. And like I said, these are bordering districts. They neighbor one another. They are very similar in, in many ways when it comes to natural resources, agriculture, farming, ranching. Mm, shame fighting for anybody. Yeah, I mean, this is ridiculous spin. It, it really is. I mean, 
she's abandoning her district because she can't win it. Her district went 8% for Trump, okay? And she won it by less than 1%. And she's immensely less popular now than she was two years ago, especially after the Beetlejuice show incident. Yeah. So she knows she can't win. And and so this is really isn't about Hollywood money, you know, coming into her district. It's, it's not what it's all about. Although she has been getting dramatically out fundraised four to one. But that's not really the issue. The issue is she's in a solidly Republican district that she can't win because she's so terrible. So now what is she doing? She sees Ken Buck's district, which is the other side of the state from her. She's Western Colorado. This district is Eastern Colorado, um, the opposite end. And she's going to switch that. Why? Because that district went 28% for Trump. Okay, so any Republican who gets the nomination over there is 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 automatically in. There's no Democrat that can win that district. Okay, so that's really what it's all about. She's looking for a safe seat like Marjorie Taylor Greene has that went 28, 30 points for Trump, where once you're plugged into one of those districts like Gates is in or Green is in or Jim Jordan is in, then you can say anything you want. You can you can be as far right as you want with no implications and that's what she's looking for this is a typical republican strategy isn't it that you know along with the gerrymandering and the redrawing of 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 districts and and borders to because you know a lot of them can't win at the ballot box so they have to go out of their way to find some loophole or some opportunity where it's a safe seat that gives them that upper hand that, you know, and this is something that we should talk about more, that the country is pretty progressive and pretty liberal as a whole. And so really, these MAGA Republicans are just having to kind of wriggle to find the a place for themselves that, that fits and will give them success. Well, the loudest mouths, the most extreme members of the House Republicans all come from these plus 20 Republican districts that yeah. that they almost can't lose unless they murder somebody, you know, and and that's no coincidence that that it's liberating to them. It, it lets them Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates couldn't win almost any other district in their states there. And I, and I was just talking about this with somebody very close to Green today and, you know, who was telling me how much her constituents love her. And I said, I've been to Northwest Georgia many times. I I get it. I understand she's in the right place for her. And that's not where she's from. She's from she's from the the Atlanta suburbs. She moved into that district to run there for the same reason as Boebert, because she knew she couldn't win where she lived and uh, because she's too extreme. And and so that that is a problem with our politics is that, you know, we have all these gerrymandered districts. That if if every district was fifty fifty, we'd have a much different Congress, right? You know, in both both parties. And I think it's an important point to make that you know the the extremism that we've mentioned a few times does not stop with Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump is is might be the face of this. He might be the you know the the current you know, carrier of the torch, bearer of the torch. 
But actually, the, this extreme form of MAGA Republican, Republicanism, the, the fascism, is embedded now in the party as a whole. They're all singing off the same hymn sheet. They all have the same attitude towards immigrants and LGBTQ plus people and people of colour. It, it has got to a point now where even if Trump did have the, the heart attack that so many people are praying for and was wiped off the face of the earth, I don't think much would change. If anything, it could get worse. It used to be that these extremist members were always pushed to the back bench and ignored, ignored by party leadership, ignored by the leadership in the House and Senate. The problem is, is that those extreme members now have captured the grassroots and the base because of Trump has changed the base yeah. and changed who is in the base. So these extreme people are more connected to the Republican voter voter base than many of the leaders of the party. So the yeah. leaders of the party cannot ignore them anymore. We saw what happened to Kevin McCarthy, you know, when he didn't pander to them, he got ousted. Yeah. You know, Mitch McConnell is a, is a little safer in the Senate, but they've, they're going after him too. So, in fact, by the way, I predicted that if Kerry Lake does, this is a prediction I'm going to make right now. If Kerry Lake wins the Senate seat in Arizona, her first move is going to be to run against Mitch McConnell for Republican leader of the Senate at Trump's insist. I think that that's exactly that's why Trump is not going to pick her as a running mate. He wants her. He hates Mitch McConnell and he wants Kerry Lake to take out Mitch McConnell. That's a very interesting prediction, because, as you know, I predicted she might be the running mate. But I'm prepared to pivot <laughs> to satisfy your prediction, because I think that's very interesting. I mean, let's not forget that Mitch McConnell blamed Trump for January 6 immediately after the event, right? Made a very compelling speech in the Senate saying that Trump was to blame directly. And then within a week or two, he backtracked. And then when it came to ratifying the impeachment, of course, he voted against that. So, And it, his wife resigned from the Trump administration the next day in protest. Right. It's Don't so forget that, too. It's such a mess, that lot. Um, let's talk about your favourite, and that is Ron DeSantis. He uh, has given us no shortage of excellent material to work with this week. Um, let's take a look at this moment where he... Well, you, tell us first what you think is going on in the mind of Ron DeSantis when a kid asks him a question and he kind of freezes like a scene out of The Matrix. We've talked about this, that, you know, he all of his emotions are scripted and practiced and and you could just see i just envision him being in front of the hotel room mirror you know practicing his smile practicing his reaction and casey giving him pointers being in his ear going no do it like this do yeah. it like that yeah you know and nothing comes naturally to him and and i've said this before i almost think him being so coached and so practiced has actually hurt him he would have been better just reverting back to his dysfunctional self right. than this contrived fake person that he he has become and you know for for those of us who follow him in florida for the last five years when we see things like this the smile the pose that he we've never seen ron DeSantis make this these facial expressions before yeah. stand like this before in in five years six years as governor we've never seen it so 
we know this is fake and and it what and it looks fake he can't, he can't pull it off in other words trump can pull off the stagecraft and and you know the fake persona and everything it's what he does DeSantis can't do it and and he just looks so so awkward so when i got this clip of course this clip went like mega viral <laughs> got like seven million views or something which is always funny because it's it's always these kind of clips about DeSantis that go viral and not anything substantive. Here it is. We had a face. I'm trying to. We had a glitch in our clip, just like he had a glitch. Right. (laughs) It's like that face. Ron DeSantis has never made that face in his life. Like it was so fake. It's It's, so. It's definitely a new one for the repertoire. Um, I want to play a clip of uh, him. You posted a picture of him or a video of him sitting in this chair, uh, answering questions. Where was it? I'll to recognize that the decline we're seeing in our country across economy, culture, education, all this, that that's not inevitable. Ultimately, it's a choice. It's a choice we as Americans get to make. It's a choice I What, what was that from? Because he's, he's not just sitting very low in that small, single Chesterfield. Yeah. <laughs> but he like... looked like he got where it was like, honey, I shrunk the kids. Like he's suddenly become like a micro rick moranis yeah i was from like a local iowa podcast show you know this is it shows perfect that that would never ever happen to donald trump yeah never and and it wouldn't happen to most politicians you know why because you have advanced teams that go in there and check out the chairs and sit in the chairs and and there's no way that any good advanced team of a presidential candidate is gonna let their candidate sit in that chair which you know it's low to the ground it's obviously you squish down into it but it also had the arms you know that came around and forced him to sort of you know sit like this with his arms folded yeah and it just it made him look like a little child and and you know he had to scrunch his neck down and you know it just it's hard to listen to what he's saying when he looks like such a fool it's just not good for business, is it? I'll show the clip again because I accidentally talked over it. Here it is. To recognize that the decline we're seeing in our country across economy, culture, education, all this, that that's not inevitable. Ultimately, it's a choice. It's a choice we as Americans get to make. It's a choice I I tell you what it is, Ron. It's a lot of these podcasts, when you do them, you're just thinking about the audio audience because by nature of being a podcast, you just think it's just sound, not vision. But most podcasts these days, including this one, is is on camera. And so you kind of, I think what he's done is he's just focusing on the fact that it's like a radio interview or podcast audio thing. And so he doesn't really think anyone's looking and it doesn't matter. I guess, you know, I guess so. But I mean, you really, the chair you're sitting in, yeah, if you're on camera, of course, as you know, you know, it's really important. And you don't want to get in a situation where you're like, sitting in a in a, a little kid's chair or you're slumped way down or you, you definitely check out those things ahead of time if you're on camera especially if you're a presidential candidate and you know with how much money he's blown through on his campaign on private jets and everything else 
he, he should have he should have a better advanced team, but his advanced team is a mess. I mean, we saw that when he walked into the Iowa Iowa State game, and you know there was nobody there waiting for him. He just basically <laughs> walked in by himself into yeah. the stadium. You can't you just can't allow that to happen. He. You know, he's still second in the polls, right, behind Donald Trump for the Republican primary. So, you know, let's be clear. And it's a big gap. But, it, you know, he is, and we've said before, he is working on the assumption that something might happen between now and November to Donald Trump. Yeah. That, that's, that's what he's hoping for. He's probably running his whole campaign based on the fact that he is the default alternative if something happens to Trump. I personally don't think something will happen to Trump. And as you know, I don't believe that the justice system is really, you know, is going to be able to wrangle him in time for the election. Uh, I feel like people have very short memories and they kind of think, well, you know, what's he done that's so bad anyway? <laughs> you know, and even Gavin Newsom doesn't want him to come off of the off of the ballot in California. He's saying he's better off being voted out at the ballot box than being taken off because he committed an insurrection against the United States. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think, you know, Trump lost California by like 30 points, you know, sure. last time. So that's easy for Gavin to say, you know, knowing that Trump has no chance of winning. But why play politics with it? You know, because at the end yeah. of the day, if someone does commit a coup against their own country, they have to be punished and they can't be allowed to run. It's in the Constitution. And yet people like Gavin Newsom just you know, it's just peacocking really about that. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I, um, we, we published a minus a piece by state attorney, Dave Ehrenberg, who's the state attorney where Trump lives in yeah. Palm beach. And, um, he wrote a really interesting piece about what the Supreme court is likely to do here that I completely agree with. He, he convinced me when I read it, which is, you know, when, when the 14th amendment was enacted and they had this provision in there, the the idea it seems to it seems to him and and it makes sense to me now is that congress was then supposed to pass a statute on the procedure for how this was going to work state by state so there would be a uniform in other words is there supposed to be a trial yeah. is there a jury is there a judge what are the rules what are the procedures and congress never did that and so what he thinks the supreme court is going to do and i tend to agree is rather than uh, then decide the question of is Trump guilty of insurrection? They will instead say Congress never laid out a set of rules for how this is supposed to work. They should have, and they need to do that now, knowing full well that that will never happen before this election. So it's basically a way for them to kick the ball back into con to Congress and say, you guys dropped the ball, you fumbled it. You need to fix this problem. It's not up to us to decide this. So so he can't be excluded because of that. I think that that makes a lot of sense as far as like how the Supreme Court's going to deal. But with everyone this. is running the clock, right? Trump is trying to run the clock yep. with his appeals. You've got, uh, you know, the Trump Trump loyal judges who are trying to run the clock. You've got Trump lawyers trying to run the clock. You've got the Supreme Court trying to run the clock. I mean, everyone is just trying to kick this to a point of no return so that Trump can stay on the ballot. They think he's going to win. They're going to get a nasty surprise because the only people who actually like Donald Trump is Donald Trump and his family. Yep. Yep. You're right. And, and that's why I'm, I'm less optimistic now about, you know, the DC case going to trial is because of the appeals, yeah. the appeals that 
you know, they're using every lever to delay this thing. And, and it, and it, it does appear like at least that March trial date is going to have to be moved. Yeah. But I've been saying this court. all along, right? From and I'm, you know, amongst the group of us who are, con, you know, contribute to this network. I'm not the lawyer. You are, and many of our colleagues and friends are are lawyers. And I've just been saying I do not believe in that the judiciary has the capability to have jurisdiction over a former president. There's too much respect for the office, and you know, they're just he's just going to run the clock. And everybody who has legal experience or legal training or legal qualifications is like, no, the justice system is going to deal with this. It's going to be fine. He's not even going to be allowed to run or he'll be disqualified. And, you know, I, I'm, not in a, I'm not a told you so kind of guy, but I, I just cannot see how he is going to be wrangled before November. You know, it may be a situation where people with experience in the system are at a disadvantage because... Well, well, they're we're institutionalized, Ron. That's the problem. That's it. We're we're drawing on the way things normally work. Yeah, <laughs> and and nothing works the way things normally are supposed to work with Donald Trump. And so, yes, I think we all looked at it like we we looked at our own cases and how judges normally behave, and we and we said, oh, there's just no way that this is going to get dragged out that long. Not really fully realizing number one that Trump has at least some good lawyers who really know how to game the system and the fact that, yeah, the courts are going to, are going to play along. Especially considering that, you know, his lawyers are terrible, right? They are, they are bargain bucket basement lawyers. And yet their MAGA mindset, this kind of tunnel vision for their supreme leader. I think ego plays a big part in this. They're just like, they're making arguments that to them make a whole lot of sense that actually the other side didn't even consider might be posed. Yeah. But I'll say this too, like among his team of lawyers and he's got a lot of them, you know, he, he does have good lawyers on the DC case and on the DC appeals. Right. Those are solid. Those are not the ones you see on TV. Those they're pretty solid lawyers who know the system and who are doing a good job. So, so we can't sort of, underestimate them you know just because the lawyers he has speaking for him on tv are clowns (laughs) those aren't the ones that are going to be arguing his case in front of the supreme court yeah christina bob will not be arguing to john roberts they should bring sydney powell back i mean you know she had so much skill uh finally let's talk about these revelations with uh the um jeffrey epstein client list that has been exposed this has thrown up a whole load of drama let me play the clip and then we can finish up talking about it here it is there's the, the wealthy elite connected people that have and the ones that aren't wealthy are the ones that have sold their soul currently some probably some of the folks i work with and and rest of us and the rest of us would be hung up drawn and quartered by now and we should be and these cats you know i mean i can remember my dad yeah. talking about flamethrower a cave in the pacific you know burn them burn them all and that's what we need to do and i want one last thing i'm sorry i'm ranting my wife made me a great cup of coffee so i'm wired this morning <laughs> it's it, it not the it's not the white hogs that we're interested in that could be anything. Anybody could have flown to that island. They could have had a, a re, he could have rented it out for a retreat. That's why he would set the hook. He would send you in, and then mm-hmm. and then bring in these young women. And and another thing, they're not having sex with these girls 
uh, minors do not have sex is an act of violence. Right. It is an act it's of violence. Right. And we should That's clarify. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and what I want is the little black book, the stuff they took out of that. They call them apartments in, in um, New York. Uh, we call them condos here in Knoxville, Tennessee. But they, they took out some files there. That's what the public needs to see. And that's what mm-hmm. we will never see. Congressman, you have basically alluded to the fact that you believe some of your colleagues in Congress uh, will be implicated once these files come out. If, in fact, that does happen, what steps are you willing to take in terms of, of rebuking them, in terms of censoring them, that kind of thing? I plan to go to the House floor and call them out by name. I have no problem with that, House or Senate. I think you ought to. Just tell us a bit about what Tim Burchett was up to here. Well, the Epstein, some of the Epstein documents are supposed to be released today. I don't know if they have while we've been on the air. Everybody's been waiting for them. Um, A few of them are not going to be released uh, until a couple more weeks. A little bit of stuff. Some of the names have been blocked out to protect them. They're in other countries. Um, And some of the names of the victims have been have been redacted. But this has been, you know, the this is like the QAnon Super Bowl. This Epstein client list. If you follow the right wing conspiracy theorists as I do, this is a constant topic. Mostly, who they're really looking at is Bill Clinton because they really think that there's going to be some shocking revelations that are going to sink Bill Clinton. And mostly, they're just trying to get at Hillary because they don't care that much about bill as much they they more hate hillary and they think that the, that will hurt her somehow and they think but they also believe, biden as well yeah they also believe that other prominent democrats are going to be on this list hollywood actors uh there was a big controversy about aaron Rodgers, the quarterback claiming that speculating that jimmy kimmel was going to be on the list and jimmy kimmel threatened to sue him and then the the host came and apologized today and said you know, that was a mistake that 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 was said. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff swirling over these that weren't a whole lot new that when this stuff is comes out, a lot of this stuff's already been leaked anyway, uh, that there's not going to be any big shocking revelations. But, you know, to the far right, this is this is like a big moment where that they, well, they've been hyping for a long time. That'll probably end up like James Comer's stuff. Yeah, I was going to say like the January 6th tapes or something, you know. Yeah. But, and and let's be clear, you know, the thing about Jeffrey Epstein is that, and it's a story that I've been, you know, fascinated by about how he, you know, the the, the manipulation and, and the way he worked with Ghislaine Maxwell and, you know, she effectively was the, the pimp for, for the abuse, um, allegedly. I think <laughs> she's serving time, just be careful there. But... um What's really interesting is that part of his game was to invite people to the island in a quite an innocent fashion as well, because that therefore created alibis for him so that it wasn't everybody that came that got involved in in abuse, that actually by having legitimate people there legitimized his story of being this kind of, you know, wealthy tycoon with his own private island. Yeah. It's also interesting to hear Burchett say that he was going to take a flamethrower to, to his colleagues if they're on the list. Right. You know, his dad served in World War II in the Marines, and he likes to tell a lot of colorful stories based on his dad's experience. So it was interesting for him to equate 
taking a flamethrower to Japanese soldiers in caves in Okinawa to Jeffrey Epstein. But, you know, that's Tim Burchett for you. Yeah. And I should mention from my home country that, of course, Prince Andrew, the uh, son of the late Queen Elizabeth II, basically lost his royal status because of his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein and a terrible interview he gave with the BBC where just <laughs> lied through his teeth. It's very interesting. I do recommend people watch that in full. Um, OK, we have to finish, but uh, what a great opportunity to start the new year with you. I'm pleased to see you in a, in a you know, you've got a sunny day there in D.C. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll have the same sunny day in D.C. next week. Uh, I'm Anthony Davis. He's Ron Filipkowski. You can find us both on Twitter and on threads. Uh, don't forget to check out all the details in the description below. Uh, like, subscribe, all that usual stuff. Visit MidasTouch.com for the very latest news. And we'll be back next Wednesday at the same time with another Uncovered. Bye for now. 